Okay, back in this Wednesday with some significant developments in Ukraine. Joining us now is Stephen Sademan, who is with the School of International Affairs at Carleton University. Stephen, good afternoon. Appreciate you joining us. Sure, Jeff. Glad to be here. Okay, we've got some devastating reports this afternoon of Russia targeting a children's hospital in Ukraine. There's also reports that uh, there's children stuck, uh, buried under rubble. Uh, just where are we right now? Can you put this into some sort of context or perspective for us, Stephen? Where are we right now when it comes to this invasion? Sure. Well, the Russians thought that the Ukrainians would fold in a matter of a day or two or three, and their military strategy was aimed at that. And then when that didn't happen because the Ukrainians resisted and resisted mightily, the Russians were, were um, moved to plan B, which is to impose severe costs upon the Ukrainians so they surrender. Uh, and this means attacking cities, attacking population centers, and and hitting civilians. So that way, the Ukrainians will pay, pay a high enough price that they'll give in, they'll surrender. So that's what we're seeing now. So the idea of them hitting uh, hospitals, um, maternity wards, daycare centers, schools, places like that, that is not a bug. That is a feature now of their strategy of imposing significant costs on the Ukrainians so that the Ukrainians surrender. See some reporting this afternoon that the director of the CIA is describing Putin as angry and frustrated. So what you were just detailing and talking about there, Stephen, is this a Putin doubling down? Sure. I mean, he had hoped to have a quick victory, but uh, he put enough forces around the, around Ukraine to have a war. So he was prepared to have a war. He just it wasn't hope. He was hoping that it wouldn't happen this way. He was hoping that they'd be faster and cheaper. Uh, but sure, he's frustrated. Sure, he's angry because the Ukrainians are, are have been telling him quite expressively what he could do with himself, and they are resisting. And he, you know, dictators don't like that. Also, got reports uh, that Poland has offered to send some fighter jets to a U.S. air base in Germany. Uh, what, if anything, does that tell us about uh, the next steps in this ongoing conflict uh, when it comes to this invasion of a Ukraine in the uh, days to come? Do you think? I don't think it means a whole lot. I think a lot of attention is drawn to it because fighters are flashy, fighter planes are flashy, and the Ukrainians are offering, uh, the, the Poles are offering the Ukrainians some help that really requires a whole lot of work to be done by the United States and by NATO uh, because it involves a significant escalation. It's one thing to ship uh, anti-tank weapons, anti-aircraft weapons. It's another thing to ship air, uh, aircraft, particularly how do you fly a uh, fighter plane from a NATO country to Ukraine uh, without Russia intercepting that plane somewhere near or in NATO airspace. Um, it's just it's just an escalation in the United States and Germany where the planes have apparently been delivered or were going to be delivered, have no interest in this. Um, one of the things that's going on today that Freeland talked about, Krista Freeland talked about, is having to walk a line so that we don't escalate this beyond what we can control. And this is one of those things that's kind of on the line. Um, people have been talking a lot about no-fly zones. And no-fly no zones are clearly across the line. And if we start enforcing a no-fly zone, that will require us to shoot down Russian planes, would require us to attack anti-aircraft batteries manned by Russians in uh, not only Ukraine, but in Belarus and in Russia, we'd be going to war with Russia. And so that's on the far side of the line because we do not, we do not want to go to war with Russia. I know Prime Minister Trudeau, who, of course, uh, we know is overseas, uh, said uh, earlier today that Ukraine can win this war. He was asked about that, and he said, uh, unquestionably, Ukraine can win this uh, war. Is that uh, just 
the hope or is that uh, really the feeling, I guess, uh, Stephen, that uh, Ukraine can prevail here and, you know, NATO member nations such as the U.S., uh, Canada, as you just mentioned, will not need to get involved militarily? Well, we're not going to get involved directly whether the Ukrainians win or lose. Um, that's that's pretty certain because we do not want to have World War III. Um, I would say the I, I was more pessimistic by the chance of the Ukrainians. I'm still pessimistic by the chance of the Ukrainians. But I'm a little bit less so now this week than I was two weeks ago. The Russians have a real challenge because they don't really have enough forces to control the entire country. Uh, they may not have enough forces to really surround uh, Kiev. Their planes are getting shot down. Their tanks are being blown up. Not all of them, but enough of them to make it hard, to make it difficult. Uh, and the Ukrainians have shown a great deal of resilience. And that means they might be willing to pay a high price uh, for this. And at the same time, the Russians are facing a higher price for this back home. They level economic sanctions by both public actors, such as the United States, Canada, the rest of the G7 countries, and by private actors. You know, yesterday with McDonald's, Starbucks, Nike, on and on, companies pulling out of Russia, or at least freezing operations in Russia, the costs are quite high. So at some point, somebody's going to be asking questions about whether it's worthwhile in Russia. And it might be Putin. It might be other folks. One of the things that Putin is not likely to face a coup by the military to take him out, but he might fight, face a mutiny, which is that the Russian units in Ukraine may say, hmm, this is not really worth it. We, we weren't told that we were going to be attacking people who are pretty much just like us and not given the resources to do it right. Uh, and so they may start to not attack. Uh, you know, that happens in wartime where, where armies choose not to fight. And that might be something that, that changes Putin's calculus. So he faces a very difficult situation. And the question is, how can we provide him with an off-ramp where he can declare success? Uh, and that's very difficult because uh, the Ukrainians feel as if they're winning. So they're not in the mood to, to give up or to surrender territory. Uh, but the price for both sides is going to go up. And at some point, somebody is going to make an offer and the other side is going to take it. So it will end at some point. But it might be mm -hmm. that the Ukrainians surrender and then fight a a long-running insurgency, not unlike the kind of insurgencies that we've experienced in Iraq and uh, Afghanistan. But All right, I got it. It's a change. Sorry, I got. Yeah, I got to leave it there for now, Stephen. I really appreciate uh, the time and you sharing your insight uh, with us. Thanks so much for this. Sure, thank you. All right, Stephen Sademan is with the School of International Affairs at Carleton University, and we're back after this break. You're listening to the Jeff MacArthur Show. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.